every runner has some sort of a backstory. I'm going to be your host, Amanda Loudon. We're going to talk to different guests in the coming weeks and months uh, that you're going to find interesting, entertaining, uh, and you'll probably even learn a little bit from it. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Running Story. I'm your host, Amanda Loudon, and today we're going to shake things up a little bit and do things differently. Uh, Instead of having my usual one interviewee here on the show, I'm going to be talking to a local running couple, Brad and Cece Murak. They are personal friends of mine, and they also have uh, a very cool partnership going on when it comes to running. Cece has been running for about seven or eight years now and has a lot of great accomplishments to her name in that short period of time. And her husband, Brad, um, could was brought into running kind of uh, via Cece and has in the past few years become a race director for two of our local events here, one being the Metric Marathon, which is a 26.2K race, and the other being our local club challenge, which brings in some of the top runners from all over the region to compete for uh, club pride. So I'm excited to have the two of them here on the, on the uh, show, and uh, I'm sure you're going to enjoy everything that they have to say. So welcome, Brad and Cece. I'm very excited to have you guys here. This is the first time we've done two people at once on um, this podcast series, so I think that's going to kind of be fun. I hope we and, don't talk over each other. <laughs> yeah, well, well, at least it's a male and a female, so we'll be able to identify who is talking. It won't be confusing <laughs> for people, so that's a good thing. So um, as we do every week with Running Story, we get into um, the background of a runner and talk a little bit about what brought you to um, running and, and a little bit of your history. So, um, Cece, since you are the chief runner in this running couple, <laughs> um, I'm going to start with you. And um, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, when and why you got started with running? So, I started running around 2008, and it was really a way to start getting fit again um, after college. And then um, I met someone at a local 5K, and um, she told me about the Hamakai Striders, and I joined the Striders. Uh, then I had already been thinking about it, but this friend that I met at this race um, told me about the Striders, and I joined the club and uh, started training and meeting friends, and it just became, it took a life of its own. It became my social circle. It became my, my you know, I, I had relocated to to marry Brad, and so I was new to this area from Northern Virginia, and I wasn't a, run- a runner when I was in Virginia. I was I only became a runner when I started living in Maryland, and so I didn't really know a lot of people, um, so it became my social outlet, and I met a lot of really strong friends through the training program at the Striders, and, and that motivated me to keep running and keep training, and uh, then... Eventually, I unfortunately got injured uh, pretty badly for a whole winter, and so that got me to swimming. Um, And once I started swimming, then I thought, well, I'll just add the bike and 
try some triathlon and um, that took me in that direction so um, but over the course of getting more involved with running I started coaching and uh, got certified with the RCA to coach um, running programs and um, it's really become a passion and something that I really like to do um, you know coaching girls on the run as you know with mm -hmm. you yeah um, it's been a lot of fun and then you know encouraging people along the way to take up running as a, as a way, as a, you know, way to lead an active lifestyle and uh, meet other people and just uh, be involved in the community. We do a lot with the community as a running club. So that's also something that's really important to me. So, um, it's a great way to meet new people and, um, to stay fit as well. So, excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Well, tell me, um, I, I know, so you found this writers right away and, mm -hmm. um, got moving with them and, and, what, um, give us a little bit about your path with racing because, um, you know, I think you, one of the things that I've always observed with you as a runner and triathlete and that I really appreciate because I think it's not done this way so much anymore is that you, um, seem, um, pretty conservative in terms of the steps you take along the mm -hmm. way with your running. It's like, you don't just jump right in, you know, couch to marathon for mm -hmm. instance, mm -hmm. and which is, which a lot of the running culture is these days. Mm -hmm. So um, tell us a little bit about your path with, with racing and like, you know, what was your first race and how did you proceed from there? So I started, when I started uh, running, I really did it because it was inexpensive and it was something that I could do right from the front of my house and I didn't have to join a gym or pay any fees or anything. So uh, I started with a podcast, actually, for Couch to 5K. Oh, fun. And I started running a little loop, an after a little loop around my house, and I did run-walk until I could actually run a 5K. And I signed up to run the um, Catonsville uh, Fall into Fitness back then, that then became, now is the Catonsville Y Turkey Trot. Okay. They took it over. Okay. Um, but, you know, around that, that time and so that was my first 5k which was interesting because it was a combination actually of cross country and road oh wow so we ran in the fields and it was actually muddy that day and um it was a uh, pretty pretty interesting that's not, not um, something a lot of beginners yeah. uh, expect for their first yeah, race yeah yeah so that was that was a lot of fun and of course the sense of accomplishment was huge after being able to do that i couldn't believe like actually when i was doing couch to 5k I would text Brad um while he was at work and tell him I ran for 20 minutes straight <laughs> right right <laughs> just, uh, really um incredible to me that I would be able to do that because I was never really a runner um so um so then from there I started looking up other 5ks I did the 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 one that I did where I met my friend uh, who encouraged me to join the Striders was the Hills of Milltown, which is literally you run up Ellicott, Old Ellicott City College um, and then run down. Yeah. Um, so it's like straight up and straight down. Um, and again, from then, you know, I started just looking for local races and uh, I signed up um, when I started uh, with the training program with the Striders, I signed up for the Baltimore Half. Um, and then after that, after a couple of years, um, I decided it was the step, the time to, you know, I felt like I was ready to start trying for a marathon. Um, but I've always sort of, uh, taken the approach of finding a goal, a, a big goal for the year 
and sort of trying to go all in for that goal. Mm -hmm. So having all of whatever I do on my training and maybe any other races that I do during the year are focused on trying to achieve that one goal. So uh, when I was training for the marathon, it was the things that I did were leading up to that were focused on that. When I did, you know, um, uh, Savage Man Triathlon last year, everything that I did was geared toward, you know, the combination of workouts that I did and races were geared towards making that my one big goal. Instead of having a bunch of little things that you try to do them all hard or try to run a bunch of races that are all, um, you know, you try to give your all at all of them. Right. I try to make sure that um, I have that one big one that I go all in for and then the other ones, if I do any other ones, are more low-key. Yeah. Um, and another thing that I do and that we have done... It, it, I made the mistake at the beginning, I think, of trying to do too many things, too many races, and um, um, them feeling like I was using all of this social time, you know, to do all these races, and then kind of feeling like I was cheating myself because I wasn't really getting what I felt that I would be getting out of these races. So I was signing up for too many things and not really enjoying any of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, the expense that came along with that. Sure, sure. Um, so we decided as a couple, actually, um, as family, to kind of make a budget for the year, and that would be it, and whatever fit within that, you know, and pick a few goals, and what fits within that budget is good, but any time that there's anything else that's over that budget, then I don't do it. Right. And actually, it's worked out well because it not only focuses your funds, better but it also makes you focus your attention on these races because if you only have two or three big goals then you got to go all in for those big goals absolutely um those races and and then you know um so what you do you actually end up really enjoying and then you still have social runs with friends or you know activities that you do training with friends that you get to enjoy and you may not necessarily go to these races but you know you're still out with your friends, I guess. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I don't know if that kind of answers your question. Yeah, yeah, no, I like that. I like that. That's 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 good. And I know um, over the past few years, you've you've had some really big races that you've done. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you've done Boston. Um, you had a great PR race a couple of years ago mm-hmm. at the marathon, and you've done um, triathlon nationals. Mm-hmm. Um, looking back over um, that span of races. Um, Anyone stand out in your mind as your favorite, and, and if so, why? Um, oh, well, there's got to be a couple, um, but I think I, I would definitely say Steamtown Marathon was just incredible. Um, and that's your PR That was marathon. my, my yeah. PR marathon and actually my second marathon. That I, I haven't done that many marathons. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually my second marathon that I had done, and everything that year just just worked out beautifully. I, I had a very good training leading up to it. Um, I ran a local no frills um, free marathon that's put on by the club. It's called Bagel the Beer. Um, about a month ahead of, uh, or six weeks actually ahead of Steamtown, as a tune-up, and I really was not expecting to run so well. 
And then everything came together on race day for Steamtown. Um, it's a difficult course that's always touted as, you know, the, the first half of it or more is all downhill and people burn their quads and then mm. the rest of it is uphill. And every single person that I had trained with that went out to that race went out too fast at the beginning and I reminded myself to just let them go and I passed every single one of them at the finish until before the finish and I finished uh, in a time that I was not expecting just just you know I'm qualified for Boston with a 13 minute cushion and it was it was just wonderful yeah yeah and then uh, obviously the the next one would be Savage Run Triathlon which just was just an epic day Again, things just came together, and my training all, you know, happened um, just to flow well into the race. I felt great leading up to race day, and then on race day, I just I just felt amazing. And, and it was incredible to just have, um, not, the, not just the energy to do that, but to also feel, as you're doing it, that you are better prepared than a lot of the other people, because yeah. you're... You're feeling strong and you're, you know, it, it sounds kind of arrogant, but you're passing people along the way. It yeah, gives you true. a lot of encouragement that you did something right preparing yes. for it. So yes. those have to probably be my, you know, obviously running Boston is an honor, um, but those two races have to have been probably the best experiences thus far. Excellent. Yeah. Very nice. And I like that you say thus far, because who knows what's still to come. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. So now I want to segue into Brad's role in the running community. Um, Brad is a very talented cyclist, and um, running hasn't necessarily always been his thing. Um, however, Cece um, has brought Brad into the running community and he is now the race director for the local um, Striders metric marathon. Um, so for those of you who um, aren't putting together what the distance is of a metric marathon, it's, it's 26.2K, which is 16.28. <laughs> okay, um, so um, this is a local uh, Howard County event. Um, it's a very difficult course, and um, it's kind of bounced around throughout the years on the calendar, um, but the last few years, Brad has been in charge of it, and he's really been, um, I, I think, um, upgrading the um, level of quality of the event, and um, so I think it's important for runners to kind of have a feel for what goes on behind the scenes when it comes to races, because I don't think many of us can appreciate all that goes into race directing. So um, Brad and Cece, I don't know whichever one of you wants to tell us, um, give us a picture of how Brad came into, into the picture, wow. <laughs> how you came yeah. into this. So. No, absolutely. So I'll say before Cece took up running, my extent of running was on the soccer pitch from, okay. you know, throughout grade and secondary school. And that's pretty much where it stayed. And then as uh, she got into distances, started running the 5K, when you're looking at about half an hour and then progressively less time, it's easy to, it's very easy to stand around and support. But then as she grew in the distance where she kept PRing the 5K and wanted a longer distance, so she moved up to the 10K, you know, in the following year, it became, well, what am I going to do with the time? Because it was always a commitment to go and support, but what do you do? <laughs> right. And so... It started with volunteering as a course marshal or water stations, 
that everybody needs on the course. And that progressed into eventually having over an entire year of being a bike lead for every single event that the club put on. That's fine. So then that segued into, again, all this time, her distances are growing. So once I was on the <laughs> bike, that's easy, because I look at running as kind of that backup when I don't have access to a bike. Right. And so we went from the 10K up to the half, and you know, as it grew and she started looking at the marathon trainings and everything else, the club caught wind that I do project management. Okay. And so between me already volunteering at the events and having that organizational skill set, if you will, uh, they asked me to take over the 10 mile club challenge in February. Right. We're all the closed event for all the Maryland and DC RRCA running clubs. And so, and let's um, about how many people usually turn out for that one? The club challenge usually locks registration at a thousand, and race day in the end of February <laughs> will have nine hundred runners show That's pretty and cross the finish line. Yeah. For um, so that one's actually a huge energy, yeah. if you will. And there's a lot of pride also that the clubs, each club takes in, you know, showing up and bringing their runners and bringing their best and competing, which is great. Yes, absolutely. There's there's that energy you don't see outside of like a school or a college, right? Yeah. Team versus team atmosphere. Yeah. And so with that, there was a transition going on with their fall event, the metric running festival, as you said. Right, this event that's now this is thirty ninth year, so yeah. you have to go all the way back to why it was created, twenty six point two k, sixteen point two eight miles, and they needed a new race director for it as they moved it from a late fall event into a September event. So they asked me if I would be willing to take that up, and I have. So this is year number three that mm-hmm. we've been in September, and we've kept the hallmark distance of 16 and change. Mm-hmm. We tried to pick a date that slotted it right in a lot of the fall training programs. So we're on the week or a week off of where most of the training programs say your long run should be. Right. So 16 miles plus a warm up and cool down. You know, yeah. we can nail your long run in a weekend. You get scoring, you get support on the course. Yeah. You get to practice your pace as well. If a lot of right. people want yeah. to do tempo miles or, you know, right. targeted pace miles for their race. No, absolutely. absolutely. And so one of the things we did, though, is over the years, it has gone from races being scattered to you finding a dozen races a weekend easy. Mm-hmm. And so we replaced the 5K distance with a relay version of the full distance. Okay. So yeah, it's a break two, it down. Two-person relay. Correct. It's okay. a two-person relay, so it's 13.1 kilometers each. Right. So it's an 8.14-mile course that we bust the second runner out to bring the first runner back from, and so if you break it down, if you're training for a marathon, or you just did a half and want a little more, you've got the full distance right there in the middle between those. If you're either, you've done a 10K and you're looking if you can push yourself, or you're training for a half, you can get a partner and do the relay, and you have that nice eight mile distance on a fully supported course. And so we've been pursuing that avenue over the last three years to see how it works out for runners and how they appreciate it. Mm-hmm. In addition to just making sure that as the commencement of the fall, you get something rewarding out of it and you don't feel like it's over the top. Right. Right. And it, it seems like the relay option has been pretty popular. It has. We were actually surprised by how quick it got an uptick to its support. 
Um, I think, again, when you look at the running community once you leave college, there is very few events out there, if you're not on a race team, mm -hmm. where you get to have that partnership experience. Yeah. And so the relay, again, gives, it, gives that option. And with two people, it's usually pretty easy to find a buddy. Yeah. Right? And knowing that you don't have to worry about the logistics of the whole situation, yeah. you can go out and just have a good time at it. And then, you know, come across after a very challenging course to relax in front of the lake in downtown Columbia. Yeah, that's great. I, I really I think it's a fun option. Um, so let's talk about how far in advance of a September race you start planning. Or is it more that you never, never stop? Um, I mean, it's ongoing. <laughs> that's a really good question. And I'll start with... Having two races per year to plan, one in late February and one in right. September at the moment, right. I approximately get November off. Okay. <laughs> uh, because starting then, things pick up for the club challenge, and then pretty much as the club challenge would wind up, things have to really ramp up for metric. But if we look at just the metric, right, which is, I'll say, a larger event in the scope of, while it might be fewer people than the club challenge, it's got a lot more involved because it's a public event. Right. It's not a closed event. And so from that standpoint, we have to file for the date and try to secure the date with the police and the county 10 and a half to 11 months in advance. Uh -huh. So when people wonder why sometimes races have to move dates, if they're right. not long established, it's because the police can only support so many events and you're basically fighting for who gets which date. Okay. And things and sometimes I mean it we were a culprit of it in the past when we first tried to move this event is finding that slot that balances when can the event happen when can it be supported by the police etc so we file that permit 10 and a half months in advance wow and then we have to watch how much marketing we do because again until you at least get preliminary approval mm. you're not sure and it doesn't matter whether you've done it year over year sure yeah, and, and it's not just competing with running events. It's like motorcycle right. events. Some some other, you know, motorcycling event that was happening the same day as Metric or the same weekend as Metric, and then they, the police couldn't support both. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, or, or concerts or something like right. that that are supposed to happen that same weekend. Sure. So um, if the police is tied up with whatever other events are happening in the community, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. That's something I'm sure a lot of people don't think about. <laughs> no. And that's, you know, an excellent point is you look at it from the runner's perspective and you're like, well, there's so much going on or there's this and there's that. There's, you know, why, why couldn't you be this weekend? Right. Well, you're competing with those conflicting goals of county support and police support and what makes sense from a runner's perspective. And that's why you end up with all these layups and overlaps and, and conflicts as you broaden the scope of what you're looking at. Right. And then in addition to that, I mean, if you take an event like the metric, we have to file, I think it's five permits in order to hold this event. So you've got the permit for the police in the county. You've got the permit for, in our case, Columbia Association, which okay. owns a lot of the property, is in charge of the pathways and the lakefront. Sure. So we have to get authorization from them for use of the property for anything other than personal use for the entire course. We have to get permission from the management company of the facilities, Howard Hughes, mm -hmm. and their support and sponsorship of the event. You know, not just for the fact of holding it, but if you think about it, you know, any race has temporary toilets. 
getting permission to place those where they go, getting right. them picked up, what timing you have to work in. Right. In our case, with the, adding the relay, we stage it in a large open field back in the neighborhood. So we have to file a permit and show insurance for Baltimore Gas and Electric, who owns the utility <laughs> run. Okay. You know, these aren't just open fields. There's liabilities right. involved. Right. And then additionally, we have to file for a permit with the State Highway Association because if you touch a road that has a number, okay. right, Maryland 104, 104, Maryland 108, yeah, yeah. any of those, you have to get State Highway permission. Okay. And then recently, we actually, now there's a sixth, we have to get Howard County food permit uh -huh. for any food being presented okay. that's not prepackaged. So if you okay. ever wonder why, right, people are drifting to more packaged food or, you know, that they get very stressed. Right. Just for one event, there's six permits you have to file and manage, and some of them have dependencies on the others sure, that you sure. have to go through. And that's not even saying, oh, what event should we have? Or <laughs> should we have a premium? Uh-oh, now we have to decide the premium, yeah, right? Yeah. What food should we have? Yeah. Do we try to get sponsors, right? All those decisions that the runner sees, all of this is in the background trying to lay the framework for Absolutely. it. So when somebody finishes the race and says, oh, the food wasn't good enough, or why didn't they have cut up bananas? Or they should have had like what they have at this other race that yeah. they provide this or that. I mean, now that we're moving towards them requiring um, a certain you know health department permit that you have to have a food vending license or whatever in order to be able to provide certain food items that are open and not like prepackaged, you know, um, I don't know, uh, gummies, you know, mm -hmm. fruit gummies or, or those, uh, now that they're coming up with like little lunchbox size, you know, prepackaged, uh, you know, uh, packages that they give to the runners after they cross the finish line. And you're thinking, oh, why don't we have a spread of bagels and cream cheeses? Because we can't do that anymore. Right. Now we have to abide by this health department rules that tell you, you have to provide everything. It has to be pre-done, pre-packaged, you know, and, and nobody can touch it the day of the event unless you have some sort of food vending license or permit. Sanitation. Or sanitation. Right. I mean, mm. yeah. So yeah. that adds, obviously, when you're dealing with a volunteer-based event where you're asking people to cut up the bagels while the runners are on the course, right. you can't do that anymore. Right, right. Um, so wow. that limits things quite a bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And when you're thinking of providing a great runner experience, you want to give that to the runner. And as a runner, I like to receive that at the end yes. of the race. I would prefer much rather, you know, have fresh cut fruit than a prepackaged box. But at the same time, as a club, our hands are kind of tied. Exactly. So yeah. it's, you exactly. know, as, as society has shifted a little bit, right? And if you go back, two, three, I mean, even one really decade, you know, it's like, you know, where before families are like, let the kid go, whatever, just get back by dinner. Yeah. Right. And it's now shifted into if they're out of your sight for five minutes, is somebody going to call the police with that as well has, has come the, the concentrated energy, mm -hmm. we'll call it mm -hmm. towards micromanaging and hypermanaging, mm -hmm. right. What is provided? What state is it in? right? Your food breath. So unless you secure that, you know, that restaurant that's bringing the restaurant staff to serve the food, right, right, right. you really can't do open food anymore. If you're cutting or processing, now the permits require that you have that entire kitchen prep of the sanitation sink and the cleaning mm -hmm. sink. And, the, wow. and so when you look at that and you look at the costs involved in that, 
you're looking at a lot of the reason that you either see things getting reduced or not, mm-hmm. right? Which mm-hmm. is a conflicting goal, if you will, that we, over the past few years, we've had runners wanting more and more and more out of these races. Mm-hmm. And it's been this snowballing effect of the fee of the race going up because I want this exclusive shirt or I want this finisher's medal every right. single time or I want this and that and the other. And nobody's discounting the runner and their desires. But then they, you know, that feeds as to why your half marathons and above are now, you know, three-digit figures frequently or very close to it. Right. You know, and people are like, why isn't this, you know, the $50 event that it used to be? Yeah. Well, when we add in that it's not just a cotton T-shirt and you're saying it's got to be this high-end technical brand Mm -hmm. because you want a Hallmark brand and you want, you know, this custom finishers medal and you want this huge spread of food at the end. Mm -hmm. And that's not even getting into alcohol. Right. The big thing now is... Let's have alcohol at the end. Right, right. And with that, you're working with vendors to try to secure it again. You're working with the additional cost of, is it compensated? Is the race paying for it so that the participant isn't fishing money out that day? And then again, you have another permit, another insurance requirement. You know, in the case of alcohol in Howard County, you need a $2 million insurance policy for that event. Mm, Wow. No matter what, even if you have 10 people to serve alcohol. Yeah. Right. And there's not a lot of restaurants that have that kind of insurance policy just on hand. Sure. Right. That, oh, now it's not only am I donating the material and the labor to certified servers and everything else, but you're now saying I got to spend money on more insurance just to participate. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think in in some ways when we talk through some of this, I, I think that, um, it's much, much more difficult these days for the little guy to compete. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think, you know, so much of this is being driven by these really huge, you know, events, you know, the competitor group type events, rock mm-hmm. and roll events, and um, it's, it's getting tougher for the little guy. And, and I think that's a shame because I think there's a lot lost when, when, when we start losing smaller races because of this, you know. And so I'm glad that uh, Metric is still hanging in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, which leads me to the next part, which is that, that, you know, you rely on a lot of volunteers to get this done because you do have to, you know, be able to manage costs. And so let's talk about the number of volunteers you have to have in place for this event. And, sure. um, and how do you go about recruiting them? Because I know that's got to be. <laughs> so in order to put on the metric, we cover 16.3 miles of roadways and trails. Mm-hmm. That requires, by permit, 39 police officers, and that's with them playing leapfrog through the course. That's not okay. even every station. Okay. As well as a minimum, the police mandate, 95 course marshals. Wow. Now, when we assess the course, our marshalling numbers are actually closer to 120. Okay. Because there's certain areas where the police haven't required it. But we feel it's to the benefit of the runner to have somebody, right? If you're on a certain path turn or something, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the police don't necessarily care because there's no motor traffic. Right, right. But you as the runner, if you hit a fork in a pathway, yeah. right, having somebody there point you, yeah. not just an arrow on the ground, yeah. um, is a huge benefit. Absolutely. In addition to with the recent, um, you know, what's happened, people cutting courses and jumping into courses right. and cheating and etc. Right. Uh, coming to light. Um, you also want to make sure that you have course marshals in parts of paths, for instance, where you could very easily cut the course. Yes. Um, so you want to have marshals there to make sure that people are not cutting the course. Absolutely. Great point. Right. Yeah. So, so if we look at metric cohesively, 
between course marshals, water stations, because we place, again, we really put the focus on trying to provide that supported course mm -hmm. for the distance as well as in case you're training and using it mm -hmm. as one of your second tier races. And so we have water and like Gatorade stations every two miles. Okay. So that's seven stations on course, eight if you include the start and finish line. Right. Uh, each of those stations requires six to eight volunteers to operate, let alone a water, you know, and a water supply and everything else. Sure. Uh, you've got the volunteers doing food, doing the finish line, you know, doing all the setup beforehand, the coning of all the runner's lanes and things that come with that. So all in all for the metric, we have to, no matter how many runners show, mm -hmm. we have to recruit approximately 150 volunteers on top of the police to staff all the positions. Not an easy task. Mm -hmm. Not at all. <laughs> um, how do you get the word out for that? And um, and does it often come down to, you know, just in the last final days that you're really pulling in the last couple of people? I mean, not couple, probably a lot of the people. It, it does. Um, our main recruitment method is similar to how we get a lot of the standard communication out about our events. So the club and the race both have Facebook presence mm -hmm. as well as we use, you know, one of the contact mailing systems, mm -hmm. right, to do permitted dissemination by email. Mm -hmm. And so with that, we'll focus both announcements for events in that mm -hmm. as well as those will switch and within about, you know, probably actually starting within this week, because we're about a month away, right. they'll be mixed in there broadcast for recruiting volunteers. And what we really try to do, because if you imagine, right, you're looking at a roster of 150 slots you have to fill or, or some handful of runners is either going to be really ticked off that something doesn't exist or worst case, we don't have enough to staff the permit requirements at a bare minimum mm -hmm. and therefore we're not allowed to hold the event. Okay. And so you're looking at that list saying you need that sign up, right? You need those early sign ups so that you have confidence that it's all going to come together. Absolutely. And one of the big struggles every year is that people are like, oh, well, you know, my husband or my wife or my spouse or my significant other or my kid is racing that event. So I'll just show up and volunteer that morning. Right. We'll never turn down a volunteer. Right. But if you know you're going to be there and you know you can volunteer, us as race management, knowing that ahead of time is huge Absolutely. because it lets us understand what position are we in. Right. We know we're always going to get a handful of people race morning, but if you show up race morning and volunteer, I also have to have already planned up who am I putting at water stations? Who am I putting at certain marshalling positions? And we have to have a whole ranking where we know what positions are optional. Mm -hmm. What is a skeleton crew and what is the bare minimum? Mm -hmm. And we have to fill accordingly. So, you know, if people run events year over year and it's like, well, last year they had somebody here. And this goes for any event, right? Last right. year they had all these people here and then this year it wasn't there. Right. Last year the course was marked, right, this way. And then this year it was marked this other way and it wasn't as good. Yeah. Well, all of those rely on the volunteers because that 150 approximate number is just race day. That's yeah. not including the volunteers needed to operate packet pickup or prepare your race bib. That's not including the volunteers needed to go get the food right. for the race morning. That's not including if a course is marked. We try for metric to mark the course and mark every turn on this course. Uh, when you look at that, that's a team of four to six that we have to 
beg and plead, right, people to step up that are willing to go out there and not only cover the distance of the course, but keep stopping, right, and putting these stickers down or yeah. using this, you know, spray chalk because yeah. it can't be permanent. Right, right. And, and go through the course, you know, or dropping off all the water station supplies. So we end up with another dozen or so volunteers behind the scenes for scoring equipment, everything else, that you also don't see. Right. But if, if that team breaks, everybody's aware of it. But all of that, we're not, right, rock and roll. We're not yeah. Baltimore Marathon or Corgi Sports. So it's an all-volunteer force. Not a single person gets paid a dollar to do any of this. Yeah. And so we really rely on the volunteers stepping up both for their friends running or family running as well as for the pride of the club right, to support the event. Right. right. And, and as a membership director for the club, I also have to say um, we are very fortunate to have a core group of maybe 20 or 30 people who are always, no matter what, willing to volunteer for the club. And um, I wish I could say it was a bigger core right. group of people that right. always were willing to volunteer, but at least um, there there is this group that you know, is, has that pri- sense of pride, that sense of um, duty to the club and right. giving back to our running community. And you can always rely on them to, to be there. Um, and, and, you know, when push comes to shove, at the end of the day, with a couple of desperate emails, we can, we can get the club to mobilize some right. and come and, and come help. But it's extremely important to have that advanced commitment from people and, sure. and the knowledge that at least, um, you know, we will have the bare minimum covered on race day and we won't be, you know, at risk of not being able to hold the event. Because I think that is something that people don't really understand is that we really, if we don't have this bare minimum, we really can't hold the event like it, it, right. it really cannot happen how would right. you how would you feel as a runner uh you know or even a volunteer or a family member if mm-hmm. you know a couple hundred runners show up race morning we're all lined up at the start line and then the call comes in that we don't have enough positions to meet the permit requirements right yeah. we don't have enough bodies and therefore we are not allowed to start right the race is canceled right right and that's worse than getting a weather cancellation, right? The Absolutely. day or two before. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's something that runners need to think about. And, um, you know, when you're planning your year and your races, maybe plan in volunteering at a couple of events. Absolutely. You know? And I think the weather that we've had this year, right, the more severe weather, this year we had to cancel 10 mile club challenges. Right. Minute. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, as well, by extension, you know, a biking event that happens in Western Harbor County. Garrett County Grand Fondo had to be canceled right. for weather this year. And people are like, well, I paid all this money. Why can't I get my money back? I could probably do the math, but I think the last time I did the math, between 82 and 85% of a race's cost, if it has covered its costs, right. are prepaid. Sure. Right. This is securing your toilets, buying the shirts, buying the food, you know, if there's permit costs. all Pretty much all of the money... Right? It's like a deposit has been laid out ahead of time. Sure. It's not sitting there until after the event's over. And so right. there, you know, people are like, well, why can't I go next year? Well, all that does is move the debt, right, from one year to the next. It's basically you're chipping in to say, we're going to, I want to participate in this. 
and we're all going to be in it together to make it happen. Right. You know, it's not a private firm that can take on the debt and then just handle it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Now, um, I think one of the last things I want to touch on is um, you guys are very much, I, I consider this a partnership for this mm-hmm. race. Um, I mean, I see it myself all the time with the two of you. And, and one of the big things is that, um, Cece, you head up the pacing group for mm-hmm. Metric. So let's talk about, first of all, why you guys decided to have pacers, because I think that's new since you took it over, Brad. Right. And um, Cece's in charge of it. So tell us about why you thought there should be pacers. Tell us about how many pacers there are, that kind of thing. Well, actually, there there was one, the first year of pacers for the metric, I was not the person and head, uh, head of, of the pacing group, okay. um, Dwight uh, Michaels, okay. um, who used to be our club president, now the RCA, um, president of RCA of Maryland, was the head of, so he is the one who had the vision to start the pacers. Okay. Um, and the reason for having the pacers was really to increase the runner experience, to make sure that people were having um, you know, the, especially if they were using the race as a training event for, for another, you know, race in the future, that they were having the opportunity to practice their pace and to have um, the camaraderie of other runners and the support of, of people out on the course, um, helping them to keep a consistent pace throughout and, and really to make the runners have a better time, you know, overall, which is what something that is usually reported with people participating in these pace groups and, and bigger events is that they enjoy the race a lot more because they're not just trying to keep a pace on their own. Mm-hmm. They have the pace team that is that is sort of keeping them together, but also with the two pacers that are with them, they have a host of other runners that are, you know, keeping them company along the course. Sure, sure. So, um, so that that is really the reason why we started with the pacing team, and, and it has developed into a really strong group of runners um um, actually i think this year is probably the strongest that we've had so far uh, with people who have returned um every year since it started and then a few people that have joined in the past couple of years and have really they really do take their job very seriously Mm -hmm. um and for the most part um you know they commit and they practice their pace ahead of time and they make sure that come race day they're ready to um, hold that pace um, the entire time with even splits so that anybody, you know, if you, if you were to pinpoint the runners that, that are pacing at any point along the course, you would be guaranteed that they are running the pace that they're supposed to be running mm-hmm. the entire time. Mm-hmm. That's my goal as heading up the pace, the pace team, and I always try to tell that to the pacers, is that I want them to not try to bank any time, to not to try to make up any time at the end, to make sure that from the beginning to the end, if somebody were to run with you, nowadays, a lot of people have garments and, and right, right. You know, ways to time and pace their, themselves. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, what I try to tell to my pacers is that if anybody did not have a garment and they wanted to run a certain pace the entire course, then you would be their garment. Okay. Um, so essentially... You know, I want you to keep such a steady pace that, again, at any point along the way, I would be guaranteed that you are keeping that pace. Yeah. Um, so, um, and then, and you know, we've started um, with less pacers, um, and and I think the first year 
the fastest group was 7.30 and the slowest was 11. And then when I took over the second year, um, I started, I added up to 11.30 pace uh, okay. going back. Um, that year, actually, I did it by 15 seconds. And that ended up being too much. So we had 7.30, 7 and that was a little over the top, I think, because we ended up kind of running into each other. Right, around, right. Of course. Um, so then I went back to 30-second increments, starting from 7.30 to 11.30, and uh, that, was, that was last year. Uh, that worked out really, really well. Um, but then runners who were a little faster kept asking, because the 7.30 pace gets you across the finish in, in a 26.2K course at two hours and two minutes. Okay. And a lot of people who are running with a 7.30 pacers were like, can't we just have somebody run with us to break two hours? And, you know, the first year I was like, you know what? You could just pick it up the last time <laughs> right, and right. you break two hours on your own. But then people kept asking for it. So this year we're trying for the first time to have one pacer. Uh-huh. So the 7.30 pace group actually split into two. So instead of having two pacers for 7.30, I have one pacer at 7.30 and then I have one pacer at roughly 720 which is what it would take for you to come across the finish line at just under you know 159 okay I'm say it's like okay. 159 and 30 some seconds. right 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 so right. we will see We're how runners. many runners right <laughs> we will see how many runners are with this pacer or whether this yes. pacer is running by himself this pace yeah um but you know he kind of lobbied for it because he he had had runners for several years asking him for it and i think he also wants the challenge as the as the pacer to be able to say, hey, you know, I, I brought runners across the finish line. Yeah. 159. Yeah. So yeah. I figured, why not? Uh, he's a solid, you know, runner and a good pacer. So um, we'll see how it goes out this yeah. year. Um, but but we do have a really solid team of, of you know, strong runners, some, some very experienced, some who are relatively new to pacing. Uh, but everybody's very committed and um, and... Um, you know, varied backgrounds, some triathletes, some just runners, some ultra runners. Um, so I'm really excited for this year. I think it's going to be a good one. And Excellent. To, to add, because people, if people have done an event of the size that has a pacing group mm-hmm. or a pacing team, right, often they're either assembled or dispersed or they're long running. And you may have had a great experience with one or you may have had a not so great experience, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right, where they were very scattered, et cetera. I think you know, every group, every event that tries to have them should be applauded for that. Um, we do, NCC takes the pacing team very, very seriously. Right. Where all the positions outside of, you know, that ultra-fast lead is a mandatory two-person team. Right. If not, in order to have redundancy, in order to have checkpoints. And while it's not in the results we hold them to the highest standard of it's not just a goal event as far as their race calendar goes, <laughs> yeah. but they all wear distinct bibs that get tracked and they're all graded on how well they hit that finish line. Right. And that goes into the feedback year over year for the team and holds them to that standard and holds us to that standard. And then we've been, you know, very deeply appreciative of the support that, um, feet first running has given both the club and its events as well as the pace team as they're mm-hmm. the sponsors of the pace yeah. team mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they cover the costs with having these 20 some people on that course 
providing that integrity of movement mm-hmm. for the duration of the event. That's fantastic. So yeah, nice their, their support has been, yeah, their support has been valuable, and, and they also provide us with an, the ability to give an incentive to the pacing team and as far as uh, making sure that the ones that do, I, I track and I find the team that came in closest to their goal time because I'm very you know, strict about having the teams come in within a minute right. of their time um, and really essentially a minute under, not over. Um, and so um, they provide an incentive gift to the team that comes closest. So nice. I hope that that, you know, makes sure that the teams are taking it seriously. Right, And, right. you know, making sure that they're pacing, uh, you know, even splits and, and consistency throughout the course. So yeah. we're, not, we're not the Rocky Mountains, but we encourage anybody to look up the <laughs> elevation profile of this yes. course. Yes, And then try to gamble on whether they would, know their time within one minute over those 16 miles absolutely absolutely yeah yeah it's not the easiest course but it's a fun course and i think it's and and i think i've always you know anytime i've run metric over the years i've i've just loved it as a great tune-up race for a fall marathon or you know it's just perfect Mm -hmm. for that so and we yeah we've gotten a lot of positive feedback on changing the course when we added the relay Mm. and we have a significant percentage now of the course that's happening on the trail systems. Right, which is great. Columbia. So it's not just a road course. Right. Right. It has a lot of road. It's probably about two-thirds road. Mm-hmm. But then you weave in and out, and especially the finish, you're strictly on these paths and yeah. all the nature that comes with them yeah. to, to bring it home. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great. And before we leave, why don't you give everyone the URL so that they can look up information and register and, and get doing that ASAP? Sure. Um, so you can find race information at striders.net. Uh, the specific URL is striders.net slash races slash metric slash 2015. Okay. Um, and there you can not only find out about this year, but you can look back on others. Uh, you can visit us on Facebook, either under Metric Running Festival or... Uh, the straight URL is the Columbia Metric Running Festival, to have a distinction. And there you can find out sneak peeks, such as what this year's premium looks like, who this year's sponsors are, um, that are standing up and putting money towards, you know, keeping your race cost as low as we can keep it. Right. And as well as you can look back over the finishes and some of the things that have happened in prior years. So we... Registration's open. Our race date this year is Sunday, September 20th. Excellent. And we closed down registration a week prior um, so that, again, the volunteers that step up can get everything ready for you. Right. And we encourage everybody to come out for a great conclusion to summer or a great start to fall, depending on which way you want to look at it. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you both so much for your time. It was thank really you. fun having you on and, and fun uh, doing it with, with two people this way. Yeah. So, all right. Thank you.